I went to high school with Chad from Tritonal. When he really got serious about producing and he first met Dave, they were in the studio from 9 a.m. in the morning until 6 p.m., six days a week. It was unrelenting. I would be like, hey, let's, let's go hang out. Let's go do something. No, dude, sorry. Nine to six every day. And this was for probably three or four years. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. This is episode 53. If you're new to the EDM Podcast, this is the first time you're listening. This is a show where I, Sam Matler, talk to successful producers and experts in the industry. And today's episode is a industry-focused episode, but we also talk about a ton of relevant stuff for artists. The guest is Jesse Brader. Now, Jesse Brader is the uh, founder of Gravitas Recordings. He also runs a digital agency called Lionshare Digital. Uh, beyond that, he runs a talent agency, Pivotal Talent Agency. And they've just launched Gravitas Create, which is uh, education and, and commu- a community-based platform for music producers. Very hard worker. Uh, and this episode is full of insights. It really is. We talk about a bunch of stuff uh, from... The importance of routine, the importance of having uh, habits in your life uh, in your day-to-day that enable you to build momentum and, and gain small wins and why that's important as an artist, as a producer especially. We talk about how to connect with people, how to connect with people above you who are further ahead than you uh, and why it's important to offer value first and, and ways you can go about doing that. And Jesse has a really cool story about how he got uh, in touch with the Glitch Mob and a few other people and then what they did as a label to really make a connection there. We talk about philanthropy and, and how Jesse thinks about that. Advice for new producers uh, who want to get signed and want to market themselves. When should you market yourself? How should you market yourself? What should you focus on uh, early on in your journey and so forth? We talk about how Jesse sees the music industry changing over the next five to ten years digital marketing mistakes that artists and labels are making, books or resources, uh, and much more. This is one of my favorite episodes so far. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure you will too. Make sure to take notes if you're listening at home. If you're driving, just focus on driving. But just take notes because there's a lot of information in this episode and I want you to act on it. Uh, I'm sure Jesse does as well. If you do enjoy the episode, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, You can do that by visiting edmprod.com slash iTunes. That is edmprod.com slash iTunes. Without further ado, please welcome Jesse Brader. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast. Today I'm joined uh, by Jesse Brady. Is that how you pronounce it? Your last name? 
No, uh, it's a common mispronounced name. Oh. Uh, no, no blame to anyone. Uh, I'm fr- uh, my parents are, or my father is from Germany and it's pronounced Breda. And I tell pe- I tell people it's it's like Breda piece of hair. Breda. Okay. Okay. Jesse, Jesse Breda. Jesse Breda. Yes. Okay. Well, well, how are you? I'm great, man. I just uh, we had a, a music festival in Austin called Euphoria and. I got to play that, and um, my Gravitas label manager, uh, Symbionic, John Bertram, he also played on Saturday night for about 3,000 people, so I got to hear a bunch of our music played to a massive amount of people, and I was just uh, buzzing off of that. For those who don't know you, uh, what do you do? I'm kind of in the nexus of, of music and creative arts and technology, so... You know, uh, I was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas. I moved to Austin, Texas in 1998. I ended up going to the University of Texas for computer science. Mm. And at at that point, I also got really heavily involved into electronic music. I started a sound system rental company and started doing, you know, DJ backline for a lot of the the electronic music events that were happening in Austin. And um, as I did that you know i went to school and and when i graduated i i started working for technology companies and so those i kind of have these two parallel lives for a long time and then just recently uh in 2013 i started my own uh, digital media and web agency so we build websites and do branding um, for creative arts companies and other businesses so that's what one side of my life is running Lineshare Digital, and and then another part is the music side, which you know I've been a DJ since 1998, and in 2011 I started Gravitas Recordings, which is you know a, a, a label and a creative collective. And my goal with that was really to give people that I knew and artists that I looked up to a way to get their music heard and released. And things have evolved since then. And I mean, basically with Gravitas, the idea was to just not wait and, and go build the thing that I wanted to, to see exist in the music industry, which was, you know, pushing the type of music that I believed in and and working with artists that I thought uh, were exciting. And so with that in mind, I've started another company called Pivotal Talent Agency with another business partner of mine which is management and booking, booking. And so I manage uh, Closey, who is one of our top artists on Gravitas. And she's amazing. Her career is exploding. And a singer-songwriter, uh, electronic music vocalist, Christina Soto, who has worked with people like Tritonal. So she's a good friend of mine. I've known her for a really long time. And I actually introduced her to Tritonal. And they no way. wrote one of their, yeah, they wrote one of their first awesome. songs at my house and stuff. So. So yeah, I wear a lot of hats, but it's all really about um, creating and helping people, you know, reach their dreams and create their dreams. So that's, that's, you know, something that I believe in very strongly. Is that what drives you primarily to to do all this? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's really cool because as I put myself out there with the label, um, I started to be able to work with people like edit from the glitch mob or are grammatic and these artists that I've looked up to and was, you know, just influenced by and all of a sudden I'm um, able to release their music um, for some of these charity compilations we did. 
And that was that was a huge moment in my life where I realized, wow, I can I can do this. I can be out there um, working in the music industry alongside you know people that I that were my heroes and now they're my peers. So it's that's part of that is just seeing um, people have a vision and a dream and maybe they're not have they're not totally set up and they they don't have all the capabilities to re- to get there. And because I've done all of these different roles in the industry. Uh, you know, running sound systems, being an event promoter or producer, also being a DJ, now having run a label and now doing some management and booking agent type work. I kind of see a lot of different facets of the industry and I'm able to help people really get to where they want to go. Now, I'm curious as to how you balance all of this because I <laughs> find it hard enough. You know, I'm, I'm a producer but running ADM Pro takes up a lot of my time and I find myself just putting, you know, all my energy and effort into that and not having enough time to produce music on the side. And and that's just two things, but you run Lion Share Digital, you've got the record label, uh, the talent agency. Was there anything else? Yeah, we, we actually just recently started Gravitas Create. Four things. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's still, it's still under the umbrella of Gravitas, but what we saw with what we saw with that is that there's really we started doing some social media outreach and talking to people on Twitter and having direct messages with them, asking them, are you a producer or are you a music fan? And it was like 50 50. Some people were music fans and some people were you know obviously music fans, but also wanted to be producers. And we thought we have all of these amazing, talented um, producers and we've got their stems and we've got their presets and we've got their uh, production knowledge. And we really wanted to, to further facilitate the community. And so we launched Gravitas Create with the idea of being that our uh, you know producer-focused brand, uh, production tools, tutorials. I mean, all of that stuff is a lot of people are doing that. But we're, our take on it is, one, we're not trying to push so much the sample packs or be really about these products. We really want to create the community and that's, that's really exciting for us. So to go back to your question about how do I balance everything? I mean, it, it really is tough. I'm trying to do a lot of things at once, which, you know, if you ask a lot of people, if you read, you know, sort of uh, life efficiency uh, blogs or you listen to people like Tim Ferriss, it's like, you know, focus on one thing and do that really well. I'm absolutely breaking that rule. But at the same time, all of these things really play off of each other. And they're all kind of part of my bigger vision of what I want to do with my life. So even though they have different names, they all really, they kind of all work together. Um, in terms of how I balance it, I really try to have a, a set schedule and a routine um, you know, waking up about the same time every day, trying to eat a healthy breakfast, do some type of meditation, write down my goals, at least have an idea of what I'm trying to accomplish that day. And then tr- try not to react to everything that comes across my plate and really try to focus on the bigger, the bigger picture. On top of that, for me, what's been really critical over the last two, two years has been building the team and learning to manage people and delegate. And so each one of these projects that I have, I have someone really, you know, either as the the project lead or as someone that I can delegate a lot of the parts to. So, you know, we have a full-time designer, a developer. Um, I have an assistant, Alicia. She also does the social media. 
um, marketing for Gravitas. So we're all we're all wearing different hats. But for me, I'm kind of in the center, pushing things out to people and getting them to take take on those pieces. Which so that's that's really the key for 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 me to be honest. What's been the the most challenging part of building that team? Because I know a few people listening to this are at the point where as an artist or maybe just a person in the industry, maybe they're on a label themselves. They're at this point where it's like, there's too much work. I'm working 16 hours a day. I need to, I need to start building a team. I don't know where to start. And it scares me. Like it terrifies me to, to even think about that, to, to be responsible for other people. Having anybody on salary, I think it's probably right before having a kid. If you, if you have a kid, I don't have a kid, but I've heard all my friends that do. They're like, once I had a kid, I got real serious about my life and and what I was trying to do. But I think having people, having a payroll and knowing that every hour that I'm not sort of utilizing people is money kind of out of my pocket. Uh, That's one thing. And uh, and I mean, really, for me, the challenge was learning to manage and learning to delegate and. And one of the things that I've done that has been effective is if I find myself doing something two or three or four times in a row, I will start to document that. I'll go and screen share it. And I actually got that from Tim Ferriss' podcast was like, okay, this is something that's repeatable. I need to figure it out and document the process. And that was, that's, that's definitely been helpful. You talked about you know the importance of routine and so on and i was reading the interview during my research for this episode where you talked about how how people should commit to a daily routine and look for easy wins uh things like making your bed drinking a glass of water in the morning eating a healthy breakfast like you mentioned and so on uh i know that a lot of producers don't pay attention to this stuff uh in fact they think it's bad like they think it's bad for creativity to have routine, so on and so on. But why do you think these small things are important? Man, I love this question so much. So I, it's hugely important. I mean, if if you look at a lot of successful people that I look up to, they have really clear routines that that really allow them to to maximize their potential. And so when we, when you said the the easy wins, things like, you know, waking up at the same time, making your bed, eating breakfast, drinking some water, taking your vitamins. uh, For me, that kind of gets me in the mindset of my day. It allows me to kind of warm up. And I think at a biochemical level, you have, um, when I'm talking about those easy wins is like, you know, you don't really want to make your bed, but when you, when you're done and you look at it and your, your bedroom's nice and, and you feel like part of your life is in order, you get a you get a little hit of dopamine, and dopamine is is the reward center of your brain that gets you. It's it, what after you complete something and you feel like it's done, you get a hit, hit of dopamine. And so, if you're trying to take on a big project, um, the hardest part is starting. The hard the hardest part is sitting down and doing that that getting started and getting doing that work. And so. If I'm having trouble doing that, I look for easy wins in other pl- other projects or other places that kind of get get the ball rolling. And then once I kind of knock that out, it, it will flow into that next bigger project. And and so that's something that I found that that it really really helps me to get my focus dialed in and get my uh, motivation ramped up and kind of get my mind right. 
I think that's really important because uh, especially for producers or just anyone, entrepreneurs who are working on projects that take a lot of time to complete usually. Uh, So let's say you're working on a song or an album. It takes a long time to get to that point where you're satisfied having done the work, like you've completed this thing. It can take months. And so you need to build momentum along the way. Uh, through those easy wins. I saw something super fascinating the other day. Have you heard of an author called, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Anthony Trollope or Trollope? I have not. Well, he did this interesting thing. He would work from 5.30 in the morning till 8.30 before he started his job. And what he did is he made sure that he hit 250 words every 15 minutes, a page every 15 minutes um, with his like, pocket timer and he did that so that he would build momentum so that that point of satisfaction or that win was coming every 15 minutes instead of every few months when he finished the book uh, so i think that's that's really interesting i think another thing that, that kind of hits on that is the pomodoro technique so if and i think that that um i saw a really cool video that ill gates did with dj tech tools where he showed that how he uses a Pomodoro technique in production. And so I, the basic principle of that, that he was hitting on, and I, I think the Pomodoro technique is really structured to do is like, if you limit yourself, if you say, I'm going to do this in two hours, it's really human nature to use that entire two hours. And if you say, I'm going to knock this out in 25 minutes, psychologically you just start to go 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 and and so that doesn't mean you're maybe doing your best work but in something like the creative process where you're doing sound design or you're doing drums or you know or something where you can just go down the rabbit hole and and just burn like five hours in the studio that may not be productive for actually completing a song it may be fun you may feel like you're working but your end result may not be any closer to a finished piece of work than if you had just limited yourself for that first 25 minutes. And I think there's also the the brain cycles and what the Pomodoro also, technique also hits on is that if, you re, if you're really intently focusing, you can only do that very well. Most people can only do that, you know, for half an hour, an hour at the most. And then you really need to stand up, walk around, get the blood flying. And I think that's another thing that we hit on with that you were saying about the routine Part of my daily routine is to go and exercise about 5.30 in the afternoon. I'm leaving my desk. I'm getting outside of the house. I'm getting some exercise. I go to these group boot camps and get my blood going. And when I come home, I feel like a totally new person. I'm ready to do another, you know, five or six hours of work. And I love it. It's a great way to break up my day. It's a great way to release some of that stress. So, you know, big or small, you know, I think you need you need those breaks to reset your brain and kind of get get back in there and, and do good work. 100%. Uh, I, I like the point about, I think it's called Parkinson's Law, actually, because Tim Ferriss talked about it in the four-hour work week, but work expands to fill the time allotted. Uh, and it's so true. I think a lot of people are apprehensive towards it because they haven't actually tried it and they're afraid that, I don't know, there's this whole, you know, creativity is sacred, like you shouldn't put limits on it. That's bullshit. Um, and so yeah. it, it really is and I'm sick of it, but that's another story. Uh, I remember a, a personal example from me, like the first 
ebook I put out, The Producer's Guide to Workflow Creativity, in 2014, well, the, f- the first edition took six months because there was no deadline. Uh, you know, I was procrastinating, working on and off. And then with the second edition, I gave myself a month and I put stakes on it. So I said that I would pay $1,000 if I didn't finish it by June 31st or June 30th or whatever. And it works, you know, like it forces you to, and it, it's not like the quality suffered. It was actually better. Um, yeah. with the short amount of time so for those listening to this who are like oh 25 minutes that sounds like a really short amount of time to do this or this you got to try it because uh, you'll probably be amazed at what you can do in that amount of time when you really focus I, I I'm, I'm all about that I think that's super smart I think the other thing that you hit on was just saying like um, the creativity being sacred and I think people confuse the creative art and the specialness of what you're creating with they feel like if they put some structure around that, that they're going to lose that. But I'm, I'm absolutely with you to say, okay, do you, if you want to live off of your art, then you really do have to create and treat it like a business. So having a, you know, having a business account, setting a set schedule and really treating it like, Hey, I want to do this with my life. Well, then it then put some structure around it, and that will give you, uh, that'll pay big time dividends. And to really tell a story that that exemplifies that. So you know, like I said, I, I introduced Christina Soto to Tritonal. Um, I went to high school with Chad from Tritonal. And they, you know, you've had some uh, enhanced artists on your podcast, and Tritonal is really you know pretty pretty much the top artists on that roster, and they've done some amazing things. Chad, when he really got serious about producing and he first met Dave, they were in the studio from 9 a.m. in the morning until 6 p.m., six days a week. And they, and they would, it was unrelenting. I would be like, hey, let's, let's go hang out. Let's go do something. No, dude, sorry. Nine to six every day. And this was for probably three or four years. It's insane. And even when he, when they started to really make some money and tour and go play in Asia and Moscow, I was like, man, this is amazing. Your career is going up. They stayed focused. They didn't start spending any of their money. They started reinvesting that all back into the project for marketing and management. And I just really impressed with how they were able to to have a vision and and really stick to the discipline of of getting to where they wanted to go and putting in all of those long hours and time. That's like a realistic story of what it takes. <laughs> Nine to yeah, six. you should have him on the podcast. He's, he's got some amazing insight. And, and I'm trying, uh, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'd love to make an introduction for you. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. What are some other things, traits or, or habits that you think an artist needs if they want to um, you know, make it in music or build a career from what they love doing? Like I said, I think the structure is huge. I think writing down your goals and seeing, okay, you know, it can be daunting to say like, okay, I would love to go on on tour and release an album. Um, but if you're at, you know, sort of, I have in my mind this map of what it, of what an artist's career look like. And it's usually, in my mind, it's about five or six stages. Stage one is really that genesis of your project where you're learning to, to, to craft your art, you're, you're sort of finding your sound, you're emulating other people, you're starting to, to sort of define your brand. 
And I think people just need to, honestly, all artists or all entrepreneurs, it takes patience. It takes time. It takes a plan. It takes a roadmap. And it, it takes understanding that you got to walk before you can run. You got to crawl before you can walk kind of thing. So understanding where you are from a realistic point of view, knowing what are those next steps to, to doing, to getting to where I want to go and, and having the, you know, the discipline and the reality to say, okay, like, even though I want to release an album, I should probably start with a single. Let me just finish one good song and put out one good track and understand what that, you know, learn the process of marketing um, one song before you try to do an entire album. So I think, I think just, and I think studying and being able to sort of see, um, you know, reverse engineer what other artists are doing, uh, both with their marketing and, and with their music, uh, is is a critical piece because it's there's so much going on. There's so many things to do in the you know facets of the music industry now that it's really overwhelming. So just breaking it down and and sort of studying one piece at a time, I think, is a really great trait to be able to do. To have. Yeah. Do you think it's wise to, uh, let's say someone's listening to this, they've been producing for six months, their music isn't great yet, like it's not at the level where it can compete with other music out there. Do you think it's wise for them to start thinking about marketing or focusing on marketing or to just forget about that uh, and leave it till later and just focus on the craft? I would say focus on the craft. I would say, um, yeah, I think that there's a there's a little bit of a gray area when you start to get to the point where you're um, you're getting close that you should start to dabble with the marketing and, and start to really dip your toes in there. But until you start to sort of solidify your sound and have something that feels somewhat unique to you above and beyond a sort of, you know, okay, I make dubstep or I make house music you know i think there's so much there's so many people producing that you really do have to have something that's somewhat unique or defined your sound when you have that ultimately i mean that's going to be what your calling card is so it doesn't make it it doesn't make a ton of sense to start marketing yourself if you haven't really defined what yourself is so i I, it but it is tricky sometimes you gotta i mean i think it can go both ways sometimes i think you have to to try to put yourself out there in order to keep your momentum going to like, okay, I do believe in this project. I do think that it's going to, um, you know, I might do want to keep pushing it. So if you think like, if you're at the point where you're like, I don't know if I want to even pursue this project because there's no external feedback coming back to you from other people, then I think it is something that you can say, okay, I'm going to try and release something because it, I, I need some, real world response on this stuff so it's i think that's a really tricky question i think you have to listen to yourself your gut but i do think if you are going to start marketing you should have your brand at least somewhat defined yeah i like that it is a great area but i i do think most producers start to really and there's that massive opportunity cost of time spent marketing instead of focusing on the craft and uh my friend booty said something really awesome actually it was episode episode two of the podcast he said great music markets itself once it's reached a certain number of people or something along those lines as in 
you need great music, but you also need some marketing push to, you know, to get it in the hands of the right people who will accelerate it and so on. Um, yeah. So totally. So, but but great music first, um, if that makes sense. So yeah, and I think to to hit on that point and and to, to go back to the last one is is um, we all and I think if if whoever's listening, if you if you think about when you come across a new artist. I mean, that's kind of their, for the most part, their one shot. And so if you're trying to, you know, I think it is important to do some early marketing, some, you know, push it out there and see how people react. But if you're going to spend time and money and really push something, you really want to make sure that that song is, is you know, worth worth the effort. Um, because if you're, if you're pushing out something that's not good and people are not responding to it, it's, it's, it's sort of... You know, it's kind of wasted effort and opportunity. And I think people make up their minds about an artist really quickly. They're like, oh, nope. And then it's hard to get a second look. You know, it's really hard to second look. So first impressions are everything. And that goes into making introductions to labels or working with people in the club. I mean, your first impression of, of, of anybody really, it sets the tone for forever. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I think if there's one thing that that kills a first impression, it's ego. And I see it a lot. And I think looking back when I was like 14 or 15, I had it and it was terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like if, if you think yeah. your music is the best thing in the world and you've been producing for like a year, um, you need to check yourself because it's probably not as good as you think it is. Yeah. Uh I think a potential solution to all of this is is networking right from the start. I think that's important. And I don't like the word networking, but but being very intentional about who you're talking to, who you're building relationships with. Because if you build relationships with the right people, they're going to tell you when uh, when the right time is to start marketing and so on and so on. And you'll be getting that validation as well. Um so with that said, what advice would you give to artists on, on networking or building connections with people that are perhaps a little bit further ahead than they are? Yeah. I mean, I think rule number one is, like you said, humility, being, re- being realistic about where you are and not puffing up your chest, not trying to inflate yourself for them. I think uh, an honest introduction and then more than anything, really asking and, and listening for where you can help those people. Where is the opportunity for you to provide value to them? Um, doing that will show all, all the things that we're talking about, the humility and, and the interest and in that you're not just in it for yourself. And so that that is a huge thing. And, you know, maybe that is your motivation and all humans are self-interested. And so you don't have to be shy about, Hey, this is what I'm looking to get out of this, but how can I help you? You know, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of nuances there and, and there's a lot to learn about how to, how to bring that. Um, and, but, but yeah, I mean, if someone is coming to me and they're saying, Hey man, I love your label. And they're really paying attention to what I'm doing. I mean, they're, they're in a way they're kind of playing to my ego. Right. And I I at least know that they understand what I'm trying to do. And then if they offer any sort of anything that immediately for me is opening the door and going, Oh, wow. Okay. I, I would like to communicate with that person. So by giving first offering first, 
that that creates the conversation where I feel more open to give as well. But if someone comes to me and I feel like they're pulling from me, then I, I feel internally more restricted and like I should hold on to what I have more tightly. And so an example of this is when we first started Gravitas, you know, we were working with some, you know, relatively unknown artists and we had done some releases and we were getting to really understand what it looked like to release music in the music industry. And, um, you know, I've been a big fan of the Glitch Mob. I've gotten to know Edit and Justin and Josh over the years. I've interviewed them a couple times. <clears throat> and, uh, excuse me, and Justin Beretta was a big proponent of Charity Water. And I think he, he had just turned 30 and he said, hey, guys, you know, it was, I think this was on Facebook. Like, please don't send me anything. If you want to do anything, donate $30 to Charity Water for my 30th birthday. And I looked into the charity. I was like, man, this thing is amazing. This is a, such an amazing foundation, such an amazing charity. And what they do is with a, a total of $5,000, they can go into a region, an undeveloped region in the world, and provide clean water for a tribe or, a, you know, a, a, you know, some sort of, a, you know, place where at before that women or the children are walking anywhere from like one to three hours to get clean water at which at which point they're not getting an education they're not able to work and it, it and so that charity is able to change people's lives like literally overnight and so i got really excited about it and john and i sat down and said like what could we do with gravitas that would be bigger than just pushing out music and we came up with doing doing a charity compilation and we got organized. We put together a marketing plan and, and you know described what we were trying to do and why. And we sent it out to these bigger managers of artists like Edit and Grammatic and Craddy and all, all these guys at the time. And because it was for something bigger than us, if we would have just been trying to do a compilation for Gravitas, a lot of these guys would have said no, I mean, straight up. But because we were doing something and we were organized and we had a plan, people were like, yes, I will contribute to that. And so that was a big lesson about, you know, giving creates opportunity for yourself. And, and you know, it, you don't want to, like, take advantage of that or be manipulative with it, but yeah. it is true. So. For sure. What I love about that is that you didn't ask, uh, you know, the Glitch Mob edit how you could help. And I think that's a huge mistake is what people will do. And I see this a lot getting emails. It's like, you know, hey, Sam, I love your stuff, love your work. Like, I want to work for free. Let me know what I can do. And it's like, there's a lot of work involved, as I'm sure you know, um, right. as an entrepreneur to, to like respond to them and say, oh, yeah, I'd like you to do this, this and this, because you have to think about it. You have to come up with yep. systems and so on and so on. Yep. Um, and I think I love this idea of asking for forgiveness, not permission, and not quite like that, but actually yeah. giving first. Like, I don't know, if you... Um, let's say you're an upcoming artist but you've got a background in marketing and you want to connect with a pretty well-known producer whose marketing just kind of sucks well yep. email him like a you know a 30-day marketing plan with everything in place all these graphics on and so on um he'll be much more inclined to to help yeah. you out than if you just ask oh i can create a can i create a marketing plan for you it's going to be like well i don't know who you are like yeah that is a that is a fantastic point i think and and you know, i had never thought about it like that and i do get some of that where people are like i'd love to help you and 
And I love hearing that, but immediately, immediately my mind goes to, okay, I need to sit down, clear my schedule and figure out how do I put this person into our organization and get them the access they need and train them so they don't delete some database or, uh, you know, have access. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like you care a lot about uh, philanthropy. How... Like, like, how do you think about that in terms of business? Is there anything you do to um, help out in that regard? Is it something you're thinking about long term? I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Well, um, I mean, there's a couple of different parts to it. I mean, on one level, I think it, it, it doesn't always feel great to just push music out to people. And so having something more meaningful behind the project feels really good and it and it allows me to put more of my of my like 100% soul behind it where I'm like yeah like there's no fear of hey man just go check out my SoundCloud and it's like this is for a good cause you know and we did a we did a compilation to raise money for ALS research Jay Smith is the founder of Livid Instruments and Livid Instruments is based in Austin Texas I got to know him over the years and so i mean when we did a compilation to raise money for als i mean we got bass nectar involved we got richie Houghton involved we got you know huge artists and so uh for us as a label having just even having any sort of a connection with them was a was a big part of it but at the same time as like on a on a big long-term picture of my life those those charities and giving back in some shape way or form is really important to me because in the story as I kind of think of my life as like I'm writing my own story that's a I really want to hang my hat on that I really want to be able to say like I I did help people and I left the world a better place than than when I came in you know and so that that's 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 one big component of it yeah I really like that it's something I've been thinking about a bit as well because it's easy for me to get a little bit disillusioned and say, you know, all I'm really doing is helping people make music. Is it really meaningful? So on and so on. Like there has to be something else here. Um, right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I feel it at the same time. I mean, I and I know for a fact that you you know your podcast or things that we've done in the label have have impacted people's lives on a one to on a one to one basis. And I, I get told that I'm like, wow, that is amazing to hear that something we did um a song we released or something like that left people or carry them through a difficult time or anything like that is just wow you know wow yeah it's a very good point actually yeah now you've worked with with a ton of artists what's one thing that almost all of them struggle with um at the on the early days i think it's it really is again uh, patience having having some type of long-term strategy or plan or even just knowing where they want to go i think in the early phases they don't you don't have to have that but as you start to really take serious take it serious i think setting some some goals for yourself of of where you want to go will help you inform those next decisions because in the creative arts you don't know should i make you know should i make five more songs should i do another ep should i try to you know do this project or that um if you have those goals 
then it's like, okay, now it's time for me to go and get a manager or get an agent. Um, on a label, as a label manager, something I've seen is like an artist will put everything they have into a release, and by the time it comes out and we're, we're doing the marketing, they're almost burned out from it. And, they, and I see a little bit of like, they're not putting their, their, all the love that they put into making the music into marketing it. <laughs> and so I, I've definitely seen that where I'm like, okay. Another big one that I've seen is not editing themselves. So, you know, something that Craddy said to me when we were first getting started as an artist, he's like, if you make a hundred songs, 10 will be good. If you make 10, you know, one will be good. So part, yeah, two good points about that is if you're an artist and you're getting started, make as much music as you can because, yeah, you know, you, something, you know, the, the, the quality will come. Uh, but when you're first starting off, you just kind of got to work, work, work. And then you need to, you need to edit. You're not going to release all 100 of those songs, release your best a best of that so i think knowing even though i made a bunch of music i need to you know self-edit and self-limit i think when people understand that uh that not every project is going to be a winner it takes a lot of pressure away from the creative process because you're working on something and you're not thinking oh this has to be a hit this has to be a hit this has to be a hit it's more like this could be a hit let's work on it and see what happens um for me coming to that realization it, it helped a lot because i think yeah. when there's that pressure it's really hard to create uh, because you suffer from perfectionism or yeah or whatever um it's a really good point and all the people i've talked to all the producers it seems to be about that 10 percent uh sure rate, you know well i mean that's going to be the bell curve right i mean anything that humans do is going to be either a group of humans or even you as a human, you're going to have this like your top goal that's going to come out. And so just knowing that and accepting that and just putting in the time and the work to create enough to where you have more to select from uh, is going to be great. And, the, and you know, I, I think that, again, there is an arc. So let's say someone like the Glitch Mob, you know, they've made so much music that, that, that they probably have a much different process. I mean, they still probably have to make a batch of tunes and then they're going to pull from it, but they, they're, they're further down the road. I think we're talking about an early, you know, early artist that, that's maybe released some music or hasn't ever released. It's really, really critical for them to um, make as much music as possible. What advice would you give to artists wanting to get their demo heard? And, in addition to that, what's the best way to reach out to labels and tutor? We've kind of talked about that, but if you've got yeah. anything extra to say, then. Yeah, no, this is a great question, and I'm, I'm so happy you've asked it. So I, I, we see a lot of demos, and it, it can be a little overwhelming. So I think the first thing to know, and we, and we talked a little bit about networking too, is try to put yourself in that person's shoes. And so knowing that if someone's running a label, that they're getting a, a and it's a good label and it's a you know it, you know popular label then they're going to be getting a lot of demos so a short email or a sh you know a short description of what you're trying to do with the song what the song's about and who you are keep it as short as possible and i would also say don't don't ever use and this i would say this is like universal do not use the shotgun approach which is don't just try to blast it out to as many labels as you can 
do your research, do your homework, pick two to three labels that you want to work with, figure out what they're doing, go do your homework, listen to the music that they're putting out and, and, and follow them, follow them on social media, interact with them. If they tweet something, tweet back to them and be like, I love this release or repost it, uh, interact with it on SoundCloud. There is almost certainly someone on the other end and I mean, I look at our socials. I mean, we're not so big that I have that, you know, that I've just delegated that out. I love it when people comment on on things that we're doing, and 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 so that that will leave an impression. So that's almost like an introduction. I think of social media as pretty crowded, loud bar, and if if you come up to someone and actually start a real conversation, that's cutting through the noise. Um, and so support the releases that they put music out on Bandcamp donate to that music and leave a personalized message and let them know, Hey, I love what you guys are doing again. I mean, if you really do, if you really genuinely like what's going on there, let it be heard. And that, and that will start to add up. And that's, you're saying, Oh, I recognize that name. That's so-and-so. I think it's hard in some cases if you know, you want your, you know, your online handle or whatever you're using on whatever platform to sort of hopefully map back to your name or in some way, shape or form, you know, if you're ghost producer 99 and your real name is, you know, Frank, then I have no way of knowing that. But if, you know, kind of make it easy to connect the dots. The other huge piece of advice I would say is just read the directions. So there's a lot of different ways to send music to a label. Some of them want it sent to an email. Some of them want it sent through a form. Uh, we use Label Engine. And they have a demo system, which allows us to stay really organized and 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 track and and really manage every demo that we came into that we come that comes into us. And this was part of something that when I first started the label, my friends and people that were working really hard, they're like telling me I would send my music to a label, and they don't get any response, they don't get any interaction, and it was just like shouting into a black hole. And I found that really sad, and I found it really frustrating. And it was it was really shooting down my friend's dreams. And so I made a commitment to myself and to the label and to the world or whatever that we were going to listen to all the demos that come across. And so we do. Um, and it, it takes a lot of time. And, and, and you know, I, I pay someone to do a first pass and he, you know, he's handling the A&R in that regard. And so, you know, it, I could I could probably get away with not doing that but it's really important to me that i honor that that commitment but but because i do that i want it to all be in that system so when i get email when i get facebook messages or i get emails directly to myself it's it is a i definitely it's a point against that person where i'm like listen you didn't take the time to read the directions you didn't go you didn't go to our website you didn't go to our soundcloud it's all very clearly stated what you should do there and so that I find that somewhat disrespectful to my time. I know it's not intentional, but it's like, oh, you're not doing anything. Let me send you a Facebook message. Like, you know, I am. <laughs> um, I I, ne I would never send a big wave file or a we a we transfer. No, nothing where it's going to be gone in a week or if I don't get to it, I would do a private SoundCloud link. If you really want to make an impression, I would title that private SoundCloud link with a message that says for gravitas or for said label and that will again make a big impression it makes that person know oh this is just for us 
This is not for the entire world. Um, the worst mistake I've ever seen is is a, a big email with all of the emails. Oh, in the no. no, 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 no. <laughs> and it's like, you know, 300 emails and they're all info at label name. Oh. And it's like, you know, no way. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, so uh, you know, on the pro side, be personal and get to know uh, the label or the person, support them, you know, link them, uh, uh, look them up on LinkedIn or Facebook or figure out who they are and what's going on and really do your homework. That's going to give you a huge advantage over most most um, guys that are maybe scraping uh, Reddit or, or doing some sort of finding some thread. You know, I, I, I love Booty. And I've read his post on how to send a demo. He has slightly different advice. Uh, I mean, that guy's crazy smart. I love, every, you know, pretty much everything that he's doing. And he's done he's done an amazing job. But I, I kind of disagree with him on a few of those points. I like what you said about, you know, tweeting at labels or, or people and so on and so on. I've found that uh, this happens subconsciously. And then I realized afterwards that it happened. I'll get an email from someone who has tweeted at me or commented on my posts uh, multiple times, say, you know, five to 10 times. I get an email from these people and automatically something happens in my brain and it's like, oh, I know this person. I'm going to respond to them like right now um, instead of, oh, I'll leave this a few days because it's, it's almost like they've given me something and they have. Uh, so I think that's really important and don't be afraid to, a lot of people don't do that because they think they'll be annoying. Um, but I have people that respond to like every single one of my tweets and it's not annoying. It's actually kind of cool. Um, and it definitely feeds the ego. So, so yeah, if you're out there and you're thinking, ah, oh, you're a little bit timid, like you don't want to do that, just do it and, and don't be afraid because it will help immensely. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say if you're trying to do that with spinning records or, you know, ultra right like those are those are um, you know i'm not trying to slight them but those are machines those are huge organizations now if you're starting off i guess this would another be another piece of advice you want to match your career with maybe a label that's in the same category or or sort of place as you are in your career i mean gravitas is around for five years now i think we're starting to kind of move up the ranks so to speak but you know we're still very much open to breaking artists and we really love working with uh, fresh up and coming labels. So really understanding what, what, what we're doing, really studying the releases that we're putting out, I think can give artists um, the perspective that it makes sense. And I think you're exactly right. Um, it's, it, you know, that's a way to interact with someone just t tweeting at them or responding and really commenting that you took the time to read what they're doing and, and interact with what they're what they're putting out into the world is really important for, for, for people, all creators. So it shows that they care. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, talking about, you know, sending out tracks to labels and getting signed. Is there a chance? A lot of people ask this question. Is there a chance to get signed with zero following or, you know, not, not many followers, not great branding. Um, is there a chance to get signed like that? And, and is that a good option? Or should you build a fan base first and then reach out to labels? With Gravitas, there is a chance. More and more, we are looking for artists to be developed. And, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're following. It, it just means they're artist development. So, but, but a lot of times those things go hand in hand. So a, a following is indicative that you've been doing some of the things right. 
with your project to, to gain some traction. Um, from a label point of view, I mean, we love it when we're working with an artist that has, you know, like when we do a release with Mr. Bill or something like that. I mean, he's he's got so many fans already that, that it's sort of like we're doubling our power. So that's nice because we know, hey, this is going to, it's going to get a lot of exposure. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is helpful to have a following. Um, you know, we do look at socials when we're looking, when we're considering demos, but if the music is, is, is so good that I, I mean, that, that is paramount. I, I'll hear something. Um, and I'm, I may actually, this is happening right now. I'm, I'm considering releasing an album for an artist who has less than 500 Facebook followers. And because I believe in the music that he sent me and it, 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 for me, it makes sense because I can hear it doing really well on Spotify. You know, it, it sounds, it sounds a lot like, like Bonobo or Tycho to the point where I'm like, man, this is really beautiful listening music. And, and so I want to see that. I want to see people hear that music or, you know, I want to see that happen. So uh, it is a consideration. I think, I guess to go back to your question and, um, and, and some of the other questions, it's really about your strategy. Um, so I do think you should try to do almost all of the jobs that, that are part of music marketing and um, music management. Learn about those. Try your hands at it. So I do think it's important to do some, start with a self-release learn what it takes to do some artwork, learn what it takes to, to, to put something out on a distro. And then when you're having the conversation with the label later on, you're not lost and you're not starting from scratch. Yeah, I used to think that wasn't important to as an artist to, to focus on that stuff or spend time on that stuff. But then I heard stories about great talented artists getting paired up with terrible managers uh, or booking agents and so on. And I think when you learn that stuff, when you learn the marketing at least to a certain level of proficiency, you don't need to master it. Uh, you can actually judge the character yes. and skills of that manager who's reaching out to you and you can you can work out, uh, he doesn't actually know, like I know more than him. How's he going to help me? I can do this by myself. Uh, so I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly right. I mean, you, sh- you should know enough to know that this person knows what they're doing. And so it, it, it is, it's tricky and I think, you know, listening to your podcast would probably be the number one advice I would have because you can hear you can hear all of these different people and all of these different roles, and you can kind of pick up on the, there's these common threads and these things being said. And if if someone's not saying those things or they're they're saying the opposite, those should be red flags. Um, you know, I get a lot of I you know, like I said, I do this digital marketing, so I'll get some uh, somebody call me and be like, "Could you help me with SEO?" And I'm like, "Sure," and they're like. Well, we hired this person previously, and they said they could get us to number one on Google. And that's like huge red flag. It's like, no, if anyone says they can get you to the top slot of Google, Google rankings, they're lying or they're cheating. And so if, if someone says like, oh, I could get you, you know, I can get you a gig at Ultra next year or blah, blah, blah. You know, there these these totally unrealistic things are kind of selling you on the dream. I would be very wary of that because... There are no shortcuts. You know, there is no nothing for free. You have to earn it in this business. And it's it's one of the most difficult businesses out there, but it's also the most rewarding and the most exciting and the most like 
when 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 the beauty happens it's like wow that was magic like nothing can top that this is a hard question to answer but but how do you see the music industry changing over the next five to, to ten years I, I love this question. I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost kind of obsessed with it. So, I mean, in the last, like, I think if we look, just look back on the last five years, we've seen a huge shift away from downloads. Everything's going to streaming. Um, I think we know that terrestrial radio is dying. We know that for the most part, television is, that experience is changing. We're seeing the emergence of virtual reality. We're seeing things like Amon Tobin's tours and and projection mapping and the ability for us to render 3d content and like people are that's starting to be just a thing like you on instagram you're like man that is some amazing you know um cinema 4d artwork so i believe that in the next five or ten years we will see some amazing virtual reality concerts that will pair what's happening sonically right now because i think we are finally at the place with electronic music where um, it's the limitation is no longer the computer the limitation is coming back to the musicianship you know you see so you see someone like haywire writing truly you know innovative um you know he knows his jazz and he's and he's referencing all of these different uh, styles and genres and and pulling not not literally sampling but he's pulling this from from jazz and he's playing this from from electro and he's and is putting it all together that is the um, the most amazing part about electronic music and so i think we're going to see that go into the virtual 3d uh experiential art artwork and and I, you know i i don't think there's ever going to be a time where people will go won't go out to shows but I think people are going to start to really push the boundaries of, I mean, you're seeing Facebook Live, Instagram, all these live streaming. That's, we're just starting to see glimpses of what the future of that could look like. And so I'm really excited because we're going to be able to connect with people more easily than we ever have and, and, and show them things that were, are just beyond anything that's happening right now. Yeah, that's so exciting. I, I think, you know, I look ahead and I see, maybe there's going to be a new word for it, but someone who makes um, music and focuses on the, sonical, uh, the sonic side, but I don't know how to explain this, but it'll be like merged, like visual and audio. And yeah. so you're creating this, this product um, that contains both parts instead of just the audio side or just the visual side. And so I think in the future, and I can be wrong, could be wrong, like someone's sitting there on their laptop and they're making this thing that is one part visual and one part audio and they're doing it at the same time. Um, that that excites me so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, from two things. I mean, like I said, Amon Tobin, you know, he, I think he's he's an alien and he's from the future and we just yeah, don't know it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And so, I mean, you look at what he did with that ISAM tour and you know that really broke ground and then all of a sudden we saw all sorts of other people doing you know projection mapping and so um i think he's a perfect example of someone where you know i love his music but a lot of people that you know it's not the most musical it's not he doesn't have he doesn't write pop music so mm -hmm. you have to work pretty hard to really enjoy it but but that tour was like people were going there just to experience it 
So I have some friends that work in experiential marketing. It's like, well, what, I'm going to go into this place and it, you're going to have an experience and that, and that, and, you know, brands are paying for that to be done. Um, and another point was uh, Jesse Fleming, who runs the do lab, who I think is one of the best, you know, one uh, music, music buyers in the United States, what he does for the do lab, uh, lighting in the bottle, and then also their stages at Coachella, always sort of leading the industry of like, oh, they're playing, they're playing a do lab show, they're probably going to do really well in the next couple years. So I think he, he came over to my house recently when he was Austin and in Austin, and he was kind of coaching me like, you know, I really think if you took Gravitas on the road and you made it like an experience where you would where you would experience the music kind of in a new way, not just us in a in a like people going into a box and looking at a stage that that's been done. I mean, it's a really great formula, but it's been done. So I think kind of taking things to new um you know, undefined, you know, if you look at something like Electric Forest, those those stages or Burning Man, those have been game changers for the live music experience. So I think we're going to continue to see those, the live music experience really pushed way beyond anything we've ever seen. Uh, you know, it's it's hard because I think, I think um, the, of safety and also just budgets. But I think, you know, you're going to see some some uh, continue to see amazing concerts um, that that just continue to push the boundaries of what's available out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, obviously, you know a bunch about marketing. You run Lineshare Digital. Um, what are some digital marketing mistakes that you see artists and labels make? Uh, I think the number one thing that I see is just using social media to promote yourself is just the fastest way to just basically shoot yourself on the foot people don't respond well to that um i guess an example of that would be if you follow someone on twitter and then uh, you immediately get a direct message that is auto-generated and you can just tell and it's like go check out my thing i will never click on that and i don't think i ever have and i don't think anyone else ever has (laughs) (laughs) and so i think um, and I'll be honest here, w- with our Twitter, with Gravitas's Twitter, we do have that. But what we don't do is promote anything. What we do is we start a conversation by asking a question. And so just like we were talking about how would you get your demo heard, I would follow people. I would interact with them. I would respond to them. I would repost, leave comments, uh, like. I would interact with their Facebook. And... I would really try to build, if you're trying to build fans, I would really think about it, build it one by one. And again, there's no shortcut, there's no magic formula. It's just really earning people's trust and their their interest uh, because it's so competitive. It is so, in some ways, so oversaturated that people have a really hard time filtering out what's good and what's not so so you but, would advocate the thousand true fans model absolutely 100 percent. absolutely there's nothing more fulfilling than that even if you let's i mean if you're like oh i want to be beyonce famous well i mean good luck but <laughs> if you say like i want to try to build a thousand true fans that seems 
that is obtainable. You just start today and it's like one fan by one fan and really nurture those people. They are human beings behind the, the, the keyboard or phone, just like you. And so really speaking to them as if they're a person mm. and having a real conversation. I mean, that's what social media should be used for above and beyond uh, just promoting your stuff. And there's some like general guidelines and rules out there that they, you know, one out of five tweets could be promotional. I mean, whatever you want to say or, you know, what, um, whatever formula you want to use. But I think that that is illustrative of like, if you're, if you're, if you're funny, if you're bringing value or you're posting, maybe you're really into politics or you're into, you know, some uh, like I'm really into, uh, you know, like, uh, sustainable energy so i post on twitter and things about a lot about that rather than trying to just talk about my label i'll you know i'll repost retweet things that are that we're doing but i would rather you know have the conversation be outside of music so that it shows a little bit of my personality and what my interests are and that that kind of feels more natural i like that a lot because like there's only so much you can post as an artist until it gets boring. It's like, oh, hey, I'm I'm playing this show in Austin. I've got this release coming out. I'll check out this 15-second clip of a new release. I've collaborated with this. And it starts getting a little bit old because you see it from a 100 different artists and there's nothing. Yep. You know what yep. I like? I like seeing controversial stuff like politics um, yeah. or, or whatever where it starts a discussion. I may not agree with it all the time, but it's just cool that people are are putting themselves out there like that um, and, and showing their personality, I think, yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. I would, again, I would go and say study people that you feel drawn to or that are interesting to you and kind of think about what they're doing. For instance, I think Ill Gates is uh, phenomenal with his social media and he's always posting things and he's really great about it because he'll post something that has value that's either funny or controversial or just weird and is, is, you know, I'll consume that media. And then, you know, he may just drop a link at the end and it does really well. I mean, I, I actually helped him with some of his early, um, um, ill methodology course, his workshop that he had, I helped him with his website and they did a, they did a, a blog post, that said uh, dubstep is dead and it went crazy viral oh wow i haven't so, seen that yeah i mean it's been a while now but i think ha- taking us taking a hard stance taking a controversial stance can can generate a lot of, uh, of of interactions it's hard to try to balance that with not being negative i try to really not not be a negative person online because or or be pretentious yeah, I really don't like I don't like that. I definitely don't want to be that way. So I try to be very positive and uplifting and supportive um, online. So I think, you know, people see that that reinforces, you know, some some of what I want my, you know, how I want to be seen in the world. So do you have any uh, books or resources you recommend for for learning more about this stuff, the music industry, marketing, digital strategy? Well, again, I would definitely recommend your podcast. I was, you know, going back through some episodes and trying to, you know, kind of uh, get ready for this. And I was just, everything that I listened to was on point. I think you've got a, just a great selection of, of you know, well-known and some lesser-known people really contributing a lot. Um, I love Tim, 
I love Tim Ferriss's podcast. I like I like things that are outside of the sphere of music because um, I think where the the really cool ideas that I've had come from is where it's sort of the cross pollinating of two ideas uh, and pulling pulling something that works really well. You know, they're kind of doing this in like like really cool, innovative chefs will be like, I had this, I saw this movie and, I, and, blah, 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 and then I came up with this dish and it's like, oh, okay. Or, you know, I hear people do that with songs all the time, or, you know, so he, he talks a lot about uh, life efficiency and how to, you know, how, doing experiments. So when I, when I come to the table for, for music marketing, I'll pull on some of these ideas that I've heard from his guests or, you know, world renowned people. And it's just a wealth of knowledge. So I think that there's um, not just for, for music marketing or the industry, but it just in like life in general, I love his, his stuff. Um, another one that I really like is Seth Godin. So like, you know, when it comes to uh, some of the things that we were talking about in terms of, uh, of marketing and building on fans and when do you how do you launch something and I, I think he's extraordinarily smart about all of all of those things how to build community how to provide value how to how to create something that people are excited about he's been able to do that so many different times and he now he does that professionally uh, as like a consultant for people but his books are gold he's got like tribes purple cow um, i mean it's just endless um, another person when we're talking about really actual social media strategy, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk has been able to um, really just capture so much market share of the world's social media sort of discussion. And, you know, he's he's a very forceful personality. But I think one thing that I love that he does and talks about is like quit complaining um, you got to put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be patient. It's going to take time. Uh, you know, those things are just, there's just, again, there's no shortcuts. So when, when I see his messages and he's continually creating content and pushing the boundaries and utilizing the new, uh, you know, now we've got Facebook live. Now we've got Instagram stories. We've got Snapchat. I mean, he's always on to the next thing rather than being like, Oh well, I had a really big YouTube channel. I'm just gonna keep trying to like mine that for gold. And it's like, no, people move move on to these new platforms, and you really have to move with them. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. I love all those guys, but I think Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't agree with everything he says, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but I see him as kind of he has like the same four pieces of advice that he repeats yeah. over and over again, which is fantastic. Like it's a good thing. Because I That's need true. to be reminded of it. Uh, yeah, after a while, though, you're like, yeah, I heard this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, work 16 hours a day. Don't sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, another one that I have that, that kind of goes back to the, the, the earlier conversation was the power of habit. Why we do what we do in life and business. And it was really cool as I was reading it. It, it really helps you to understand how you can formulate a habit and like what it takes to make that happen. And I think... Um, if you have a bad habit and you try to replace it with a good habit, I mean, that can have a huge shift in your life um, just right there. You know, for instance, even just like quitting smoking, I've seen friends of mine that have been like, oh, they're always broke and they feel like shit and they smoke. They stop smoking. All of a sudden they have a lot more money and they don't feel like shit anymore. So it's like that, that's a pretty big 
um, pretty big shift. So and that it ties into, you know, how can you make creativity a habit for yourself? How can you structure yourself in a way that is is where you're c- consistently sitting down and being creative? Yeah, and so it I, becomes easier I, as I, you do that. Totally, totally. I mean, a habit is, you know, for instance, like when I go and exercise now, if I don't go, I actually feel weird. I'm like, oh, I'm missing, I'm missing it. Where I used to not enjoy exercising at all. Mm. Yeah, I've been recommended that book probably 27 times, and I'm a huge reader, but I haven't, I haven't bought it, so I feel like I need to do that after this. Well, you tell me, give me your address. I'm gonna send it to you. <laughs> Will do, man. Um, not on here though, because I might get a bunch of stuff. Okay, two more questions. What is something? Uh, it can be music industry related, or it can just be like life related that most people disagree with you on? Uh, I actually had this come up the other day is someone, someone was saying that, that labels are dead and they're, and they're antiquated. And I've heard, I kind of I feel, feel like that. I've said that before, to be honest. Yeah. And I've, I've seen <laughs> that. I, I saw it on Reddit and I got in, I kind of, I didn't get into it, but I started disagreeing with these people. I was like, what? Hold on. I run a label. Let me tell you why. And I think that there's a perceived, um, idea of the major labels and some of the shady and really um you know protectionism and monopoly that they hold on things like spotify or youtube and the way they throw their rate around it really harms independent labels and the value that they can provide for artists and and so i absolutely disagree with that i think a good label can provide tremendous value and it also and you know we talked about the future I think the lines are blurring between an amazing Spotify playlist and a YouTube and a curated YouTube channel and a really great label. Those are all kind of in a way serving the same thing. It's like going to a restaurant and you know what's going to be on the menu. And so if you like that flavor, then you're going to sort of buy into that label or you're going to buy into that Spotify curator, or you're going to buy into that YouTube channel. I mean, someone like uh, Exquito or Mr. Suicide Sheep. I mean, they've done an amazing job of building that brand. And for me, I don't even I don't even think of them as a YouTube channel. I think of them as a, a you know a brand or a curator uh, that pro- consistently provide access to good new music. And that's what we're trying to do as a label. Um, I think we facilitate artists a lot more, obviously, with with the creative process. Yeah, and I think I was talking to who was it? Might have been Sebastian Lintz or no, it was Lucas James from uh, Seeking Blue, and and he was saying that that's going to happen more and more. That labels need to start caring a little bit more, a lot more about the creative process and working directly with artists instead of just being a vehicle for releasing music. Because anyone can do that. You can go to CD Baby and you know get your music on iTunes, Spotify. Um, so do you see that? Do you think that's true? Do you think that needs to happen more and more? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, I think where the where labels can provide value now is with understanding the process, having having a process. So, let's say, okay, here's when you can make an announce. Here's when you would release it. Here's how we can work with um, Spotify or YouTube. Um, here's how we can follow up, uh, doing things like having a roster of, of remixers, um, having digital artists on the ready to help with artwork, also 
curating and sort of doing quality control, mastering and mixing. And it's really a third party that's sort of a, a check because I've seen artists come to us and they think, hey, we've got a final, uh, these are the final songs and this is the artwork. And we're like, uh, no and no. We're going to go and do a second listen and we're going to make sure that the mixing and mastering is 100%. And then this artwork is not digital media ready. It doesn't have the qualities for a, a modern day, you know, um, album artwork to really catch people's attention. It, it's not, you don't have, it's not formatted for, uh, you know, social media and all these other things. And so we really, I think, bring a lot to the table. And also we keep people on schedule. So we use, we use Basecamp. Everything is a project. We've got to-dos. We've got the release process mapped out. And the feedback from our artists is like, it's incredibly informing. They learn a lot about themselves, about their music, about their their own artist's you know, brand, and then also about the process of releasing music because it's so mapped out and transparent to them of what's happening and what stage it's, is, is uh, the release is at. So they have access to the Basecamp project yes oh that's awesome i love that yeah and and another thing and just some specifics about gravitas is we're we're a unique label and that one almost all of our music is free to download and because of that we're we're really not worried about piracy or anything like that and it's really about first and foremost the goal is to to get that artist heard by as many people as possible that's the number one goal and so you know of course we look at the financials and we want to break even and make some money but by being on that same goal where the artists and the label were aligned and then on top of that we're not we're not owning the masters and so i believe wholeheartedly as a person not not so much as a label that these people created this artwork and it's theirs. And I don't feel right about saying that I own this music. I want it to be a partnership. And so you come and become a partner with Gravitas to release your music out in the world. And there's a 50-50 split and we do, you know, what we bring, I feel like is as equally as important as, as just creating the artwork. All right. Last question. What advice these are Tim Ferriss questions, by the way. I'm sure you noticed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I'm not sure how old you are now, but I know you're not 20. <laughs> yeah, I'm not 20. I'm 36. That's a great question. I, I love this question. So, man, most most importantly, uh, there there was a job that I worked for for about eight years, and I wish I wish I had started sort of my own companies and my own brands earlier i wish that i had i was i I was i was scared to just jump in with both feet and so it took me a while to really make that transition of being fully self-sustained by my own businesses and now it's like 100 percent all in all the time whereas when i was working that job i would be you know, one foot in, one foot out. So I really, I really, I don't regret it because I really, I really try to not regret any of the, anything, but I, I wish that I had just had a bit more confidence to jump all in and, you know, kind of like 2006, 2007. And I almost did. And, and I did it. And I, I kind of played it a little bit safe with this full-time job that I had with a nice salary. Mm-hmm. 
Jesse, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on. Before you go, though, where can people find you online? Where can people learn more about you? Uh, give us the details. Yeah, so, you know, I, I love to connect with people on Twitter. So it's at jessebreda.com, J-E-S-S-E-B-R-E-D-E. Um, so that's a really easy way to, to look, look me up. Um, all of our music, again, Gravitas Recordings is music.gravitasrecordings.com. Um, you know, check out Gravitas Create if you're a producer and you want to get involved. We're doing weekly Facebook uh, production challenges, very similar to kind of what Team Supreme is doing. So go to, uh, go to our website, gravitascreate.com. And there's all sorts of cool free downloads and things. And once you do that, you'll kind of get into, uh, get access to the, the private Facebook group. Uh, so yeah, those the, our website gravitasrecordings.com, gravitasrecreate.com, and uh, hit me up on Twitter, Jesse Breda. <laughs>